Good to see everybody here this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9. And uh, it's been a, an awesome morning already. Um, just we got here this morning rehearsing uh, with the, the praise team and uh, the scriptures that, that were used. And again, the songs that we sang this morning uh, fit perfectly with what we're going to be studying this morning. So I want to say thank you again for being here. Your guests, thank you again for being here. Last week, uh, we were talking uh, how that Jesus uh, is the healer, and he healed a man named Aeneas, and that testimony of this man being healed uh, affected a couple of towns at the time, and we know, of course, his healing uh, carries over and still affects us today because that story uh, was preserved in Scripture for us, and it's an encouragement for us today. Uh, but the, the reason why it was such an encouraging uh, part of Scripture, this man's healing, not just that it affected those towns, but specifically the fact that those cities turned to the Lord when they saw the life change in this man. And uh, we saw this point that was the encouraging or the, the, the challenging even point for us, and that is God can still turn cities to him, but just like with Peter, just like with the, the people there, it still takes sincere faith obedience and the right motive from his people and that motive thing is a big deal because uh, that's the key i believe to not only a, a successful individual relationship and walk with the lord but that's key as a church uh, for us to make sure that we are staying on the right path staying again motivated with the right uh, motivation and not not just to see god turn cities to himself uh, but in our lives period to see God's glory resound. That, that should be the motive of your life. That should be the motive of my life. That should be the motive of our life as a church. And of course, we know the drive is love. Why, why, why should we be motivated uh, by God getting the glory from our life? Well, because we love the Lord. He loves us and we love each other. Again, that, that should be uh, what drives us. But that motivation of God getting the glory, that is so key. And um, I, I wanna encourage you once again, whether you're, you're at your job, uh, whether it's in your house, uh, in this church, in public, in private, in every decision you make, everything you say, your attitude, every single thing. I believe the child of God needs to be motivated that he would get the glory in our life and through our life. Every, every day that you wake up, and again, I, I challenged this last week, when you, when you wake up in the morning, and, and whatever, you're getting ready for work, you're, you're, whatever is going on in your life, something has to be motivating you. And if it's something as temporal as money, that's going to run out. If it's as temporal as things, that's going to go away. Uh, everything temporal is going to go away. So we have to be motivated by something that's significant. And, and the only significant thing that we know and we experience in this world is our relationship with Jesus Christ, the eternal and so that should be what motivates us. I want God, I want my relationship with him, I want our church, every single one of us have this desire. I want him to be glorified. Again, it's not just an idea. That's not just a, a good idea. That's not just a figurative thought. You know, well, God is probably getting the glory from my life or God is, you know, I, I'm here. Um, I'm trying to be pretty good. I'm not trying to mess up in my life. I'm doing better than other Christians that I know. That's not being motivated for God to get the glory. Again, this, this thing of motivation comes from sincerity. 
And I believe it, it comes from a daily passion uh, driven by a real love for God because if your love for God is uh, waning, if you're, if you're not, if, if you, in your relationship right now with the Lord, if you're like, I don't know that I feel this deep love for God. I mean, I love him and, and I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful he loves me. I'm thankful for salvation. But I don't know that on a daily basis I'm walking with God like I love him. Like I can't be without him. Like I have to talk to him. I have to share my relationship with him, with others, like I do with other loves in my life, right? We get on Facebook and plaster, oh, this is my friend. This is my lover. We do all these things on, on, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and social media. We, do, we, we plaster our love everywhere for people in this world. There should be no greater love we have. And I'm not saying that we take to Facebook. You can if you want to, if that's what is you know, driving you. But I'm just saying every day of our life, every day of your life, are, are we driven by this sincere, passionate love for God? Is he the lover of your soul? When you get up in the morning, again, I believe that it should be the love of our heart that should drive us and then being motivated by his glory uh, should be revealed in everything that we do. I want God glorified. So when you get up and get ready for work, get up, you know, go, go out of town, get ready to come to church, whatever you're doing, go into the store. I want God glorified. I'm trying to be careful that God would be glorified and everything. That should be the motivation in all of our lives. Again, it's deliberate. And the point is that it takes faith. It takes action. It takes obedience in our life. And like we've seen in this study, I think that we've learned things, things along the way. And I think it's important to point this out uh, at this point, to be reminded that even when things are bad and maybe when we lose everything, maybe like these first Christians that we've seen over and over again, whether it was the stoning of Stephen or the persecution of the church and the scattering of the church, or it's been different struggles and, and attacks or even losses of life like we've seen with this Aeneas and him rise from the grave, this first church, what they were dealing with didn't blame God. And we've talked about that recently, even on Sunday nights, is it's, it's hard for us sometimes to not ask the question, why? Why is this going on? Why is this happening in my life? Why is this, not, why is this happening in our life? Why is this happening to our church? What is, why is this happening at my job? But it never should be something that the child of God has in their heart to say, God, where are you? Why are you not doing to blame? And I'm not saying you can't ask God, you know, hey, I need your help. Where are you? But I'm saying in, a, in, a, in an accusatory a blaming way because if we have a relationship with him we should know his heart the first church didn't blame god they didn't blame the church leaders the apostles they didn't blame what was going on that led them to suffer every single one of them had counted the cost and when they were fleeing their homes there in jerusalem from the persecution it was a rallying point for them this this persecution this attack this difficulty this this, this time uh, of polarization in the culture that they were dealing with turned into a rallying point for the people of God. Why? Because they had already surrendered their whole life to Jesus Christ. So they moved and they lived intentionally. Many of them, if not all of them, who didn't deflect or defect, I'm sorry, they, all of them were motivated, I believe, by the glory of God. And that's what was the, that's what was the common denominator. They simply loved the Lord and they wanted him glorified in their life. 
whether it was by death or by life, whatever. But they were in it together. As I said this morning, there was a scripture used, and uh, it's the scripture that Jesus, when he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. He was lifted up on the cross, and he was exalted even in that death as the only sacrificial lamb, worthy lamb. God was glorified in that perfect sacrifice for the sins of mankind. But I think it's a great picture of what happens when you and I, as the children of God, live as a living sacrifice. When we do that, then just the same way that God was exalted in the death of Christ, he's exalted in our living sacrifice. And again, that's what was going on in this first church. And that point we saw continues on this week. Um, We were introduced to this faithful disciple. I'll read Acts chapter 9, then we'll pray, verse 36, at Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room, and since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there, and they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. So Peter arose and went with them, and when he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all, again, that you do in our lives. Thank you for being our God. And again, we, we think back on the songs that we just sang, and I, I pray they weren't just words and melodies. I pray that they are truths and desires and expressions of what's in our heart. Uh, Lord, that we know you are holy. We know that there's no place for fear in our life because we know you, the battle belongs to you. Lord, we know that we, th- these truths that we've sang to you this morning are, are, are that, they're truths. I pray that that would be what's abiding in our heart now as we turn to your word, your truth. And um, I ask that you would move in this place in a special way. Then we want your presence uh, to be felt. We want you to to have your way in every single one of our lives. If there's somebody here, Lord, that doesn't have a personal relationship with you, that they would know this morning that they could... As we sing that first song, check their shame at the door. They can leave it all behind and come as they are. And you will forgive them and save them and make them new, just as you have with many of us in this place. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for this opportunity again. We ask you to move now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to point something out here um, because it, it was a recent conversation and I think it's important to to do that, but uh, we see the leaders here that God has set up in the church, and and we've gone from one to the next uh, over and over again, and and, uh, all of these leaders are men. Uh, And I I say that uh, with on the other side of the coin being this, that the church that we've seen so far in the church even today isn't complete without the passion, the presence, and the participation of the women. And again... I want, to, I want to point this out because it's God's design. Just as with marriage, it, it takes two. Uh, the body uh, that, that we all live in, these, these physical bodies are composed of vital organs that are designed by God to all work together, like the heart and the lungs. The church body itself is put together by God to be healthy and fruitful. It takes every single one of us. 
both genders, which are two that God created, not an innumerable number, not an infinity number, but two genders that God created. It takes both of us in the church. It takes the young and the old in the church to be the God, the body that God designed. And so we, we have to make sure that when we're approaching these stories and, and understanding uh, what God is, is showing us, that each member has a place and a purpose in the church, designed and driven by God's grace and his gifting. And last week we read, read one of those verses. I want to read it again because it's such a powerful verse in, in 1 Peter chapter 4. He said this, but the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watch, watchful in your prayers. Don't, don't, don't fall asleep. Be always awake, alertful in your prayers, and, and above all things have fervent love for one another. He's talking to Christians, of course. Why? Because love will cover a multitude of sins. Wouldn't that be nice if we operated like that all the time? Man, that, that would transform the landscape of so much of, of the church today. And then be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift from God, minister it to one another. Don't hold it up, don't bury it, don't use it just for the world, but as God has gifted you, serve it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, like's happening right now, let him speak from the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability that God has given them. So there are different abilities, there are different places of service, but each person, as God has gifted them and afforded them the opportunity, let them serve with the ability that God supplies. That in all things, and this is what we looked at, that God would be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is what it's about, is when we, we are as a body operating in the way that God has, has called us to operate, he gets the glory. But as I said, it's clear in Scripture that God has these parts, these members of the body. Every single one of us in the, in the body of Christ has a role, both men and women, in the body of Christ, in the home, in marriage, and we see that here. I, I want to further clarify this uh, by saying this. What are the roles? What are the roles in, in the church? We've seen, again, men and women. Uh, we've seen leaders. We've seen uh, participants. We've seen servants. We've seen people named. We've seen uh, a, a countless number of people not named. But we understand, according to Scripture, that men have the pastoral roles in the church. Men, have, uh, men hold the offices in the church. And I will say this, I didn't choose that. Nobody else chose that except for God. God designed it like that. Just like there's a specific purpose for the heart and a specific purpose for the lungs, a specific purpose for the brain, every single one of us, and then in both genders, are serving a particular purpose that God has designed or supposed to be serving that particular person, purpose. But also in, in, in this, uh, about gender discussion, every instance in the Old and New Testament, God's ordaining of any type of leadership is that of males. They hold that place of leadership in the church, in the home. And this isn't sexist. Uh, sexist? Uh, sexist. Sexist. It's not, um, it's not suppressing and it doesn't mean that women have no leadership in the home and no leadership in the church. It's not what it means. But men hold that role of leading in the church. Again, pastor, deacon, 
overseer, shepherd, example, spiritual leader in the home and in the church. But I have to say this, there have been times in the past and there are definitely, there's definitely a time that we're living in now where men won't lead and aren't leading. They're not leading in the home spiritually. They're letting kids determine, moms determine. There's not a lot of men courageous enough to walk with God in a personal way and make difficult spiritual decisions for their life, for their family, and their family and their life, and we as a church suffer as a result of that. And what, what's the effect of that? What's the effect of, of men today and men throughout the ages and, uh, that, that, that God has been looking for? Who is the man? Where is the men? Who is going to lead? Who's going to have the courage to lead spiritually? What's the effect of, not, of men not leading spiritually? Of course, weak spiritual leadership. Weak spiritual leadership means weak spiritual homes. Weak spiritual influence at the work and in the community and everywhere we go. And so there becomes a weakening of the church of God's design in this culture. And how do we know this? Let the world tell you to do something versus what God has already commanded in his word. And who wins that, who wins that battle? Let the kids say they want to do something worldly or not do something spiritual versus something worldly. And who wins that battle? Where are the men today? Where are the spiritual men, the spiritually strong men who says, I don't care how popular I am with anybody. I don't care if my kids think I'm cool or not. I don't care if anyone else is. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Our Lord. Above and beyond any and all others. We will serve the Lord. Again, I, I don't say all of this to simply imply or explicitly say that it's all about men. Because it's not, and I've said that already. But if men don't fulfill their roles as leaders, spiritual leaders in the home, men, if you don't take up your, the mantle and say, you know what, we will do the hard things spiritually. When everybody else is going this way, we will go God's way. If men don't do that in their home, in their life, in the church, then no matter how hard and how passionately the women serve and the women work and the women lead and the women help and the women desire, there's going to be an imbalance. And it will result in disunity. It will result in a lack of spiritual fruit. And it will result in God not being glorified in the church forever and ever. Amen. Too many men are giving in on spiritual matters because it's a lot easier to give in on spiritual matters. It's just a lot easier. I've said it many times. I'll just say it. I guess the Lord takes me home. It's always easier to do the fleshly or the worldly thing. It's harder to do the spiritual thing. It's harder to make the spiritual decision for you, for your family. It's harder to do those things. But we have to have men that are willing to do that. Again, it's nothing new. Men have struggled with this through the ages. Peter, the person that we've been studying in Scripture, this man, he struggled with being a spiritual example, a spiritual leader. He has faltered and failed. He has, has missed that. And in our text, as we go along, he's going to do that again. And in our text, we see 
Peter, this man being in this leadership role, they've asked him to come up and, and, and do something in this situation. But how important was this woman to the church? We touched on her a little bit last week, but I think it's so important to is understanding the roles in the church and, and, and understanding the roles in, in, in culture and in the home and, and all those things. Men, we need men to be spiritual leaders. We need men to be men today, to have the courage to, to be who God's called us to be. We need, we need that today, but we cannot thrive without women like we see in Scripture. This woman in particular is, is called Dorcas, which again, we, we talked about that a little bit last week. It's an interesting name. Uh, if, if a woman was given the opportunity to be called Tabitha or Dorcas, uh, she would probably be called Tabitha. Maybe not. Some people might want to be called Dorcas. A good conversation starter, I guess. But this woman in Scripture is the only woman that we have who's called Methetria, which is a female disciple. And we know there are other female disciples in Scripture, uh, even going back to Mary and uh, Mary Magdalene and, and Martha and, and all those. We, we know that there have been followers of Jesus who are female, but in Scripture, in, te- in the text, there's only one time that this word is used, and it's used for Tabitha or Dorcas. And that's an interesting thing because it's possible that Luke thought it was best that she exemplified what a female disciple of Jesus should be like. And we don't know that, but that's a possibility of why this term was used for her. We're told that she was literally full of good works. And, and, and we know that Scripture says that let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven, which again points to that last point of the point that we saw last week. Dorcas was noted for her aid to the poor, and in particular, the poor widows that were in the town. She sewed garments, she did other good deeds, but it also may be implied that she is this single person. We don't know if she's a widow. We don't know if she has, you know, been put away. We don't know if she just never married, but she's a single woman. Her name is is translated gazelle, which is, she was called this by uh, people there in, in, in the town. And there's thoughts because her name meant gazelle that she had maybe been a slave. And the reason why that was a thought is because slaves often bore nicknames like that. Uh, the general population didn't. And so this is quite possible that she was someone's servant and uh, under some oppression And was able to escape from that. Regardless, it's interesting that she gets this much description versus the man that we just looked at last week, Aeneas, right? While, again, while men have, we've talked about, men have their roles, men have the leadership, the responsibility. We see Peter here. We see a lot of information on this woman, her faith, her service, her sacrifice. And that, those things were obviously impactful not only to the widows that she was serving and ministering to, but the church in the entire city that she was in. Look in verse 40. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, which I love that, right? That's, it's just the body. We're all in, in bodies. These are vessels. Guess what? Hey, everybody here, just a reminder, every single one of us is either going to get sick and die or we're going to die, period. These are temporal vessels. That's why it's so important for us to live with an eternal purpose. 
because these things are going to go away. He turns to the body and says, body, I got something to say to you. (laughs) Tabitha arise, and she opened her eyes when she saw Peter. She sat up, then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. When he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Look at verse 42. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed in many, uh, many days in Joppa with Simon the Tatter. Now, I want to say, that regardless of who she may have been before, regardless of what she was known not to have, a husband, a family, or whatever, regardless of the sickness that took her life for a moment, It's clear that in her life, whether past or present, she wasn't defined by those circumstances. And she didn't allow in her life her past or her present circumstances to dictate or define her faithful following of and service to Jesus. It didn't matter who she was. Well, she's, yeah, she's a single lady. She's never been married. She's a widow. None of that mattered. She was a faithful follower and servant of Jesus Christ. It didn't matter what, oh, did you hear that Tabitha got that sickness and died? None of that mattered. What, was, what mattered in her life was that Jesus was being glorified in her life. That's what mattered. And that's what's recorded in Scripture for us even 2,000 years later. And so I think it's a very important point for us to pull out of this and, and, and apply in our life. And that's the point this morning. Don't let your past or your present circumstance dictate or define your faithful following of and service to Jesus. Don't let who you used to be, don't let what you're going through right now, don't let any worry or trial, don't let any fear, don't let any struggle, don't let anything dictate or define your faithful following of service to Jesus. This woman didn't. And God said, you know what? I'm going to use her as an example for every one of my followers until I come back. We're studying her still today. And as long as the Lord gives us opportunity to live on this earth, this will still be in Scripture as an example of a woman who was faithful to Jesus regardless of what she was dealing with in her past, regardless of what she was dealing with in her present. She was faithful to Jesus, and she served him. Last week we talked about Rahab on Sunday evening, the harlot, right? We don't have to say that, but Scripture does. Scripture, many times, even in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it calls her Rahab the harlot. The Hall of Faith. The harlot. How would you like to be known as that? Like nobody, nobody just called you by your first name normally. They called you by whatever. Harlot. Thief. Cheat. And while that may be demeaning to some that she's recorded in in Scripture based on her past, it might be a beautiful picture for her of God's grace. She was Rahab the harlot. The Lord changed her, recorded recorded in the hall of faith. That's what happens with every single one of us. So no matter what your past is, no matter what you're known for even right now, just as Tabitha was known 
as a vessel that God used to bring glory to himself. And just like Rahab, everyone who is in Christ, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is a new creature. It says, the old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Verse 18 says, now all these things are from God, the new things, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation once we're saved. Namely, that God was in Christ and he was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he committed to us that same word of reconciliation to be reconciled with God. Therefore, every single believer is an ambassador for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, Paul said to them. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, because he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Talk about a transformation. Talk about being known by something new. Listen, every single one of us who's saved in this room could be known for who we were. But now, as children of God, we are the righteousness of God in Him. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to read this and, and get through this quickly. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, Christians, are you competent to, to try trivial cases? Incompetent, I'm sorry. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Hey, you not handle the things in this life the way that you should. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who are not standing in the church? Why do you, why do you take any offense to anybody else other than in the church. I say this to your shame, Paul says. It's not something that is a good thing. Can it be that there is no one among you who's wise enough to settle disputes between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers, you handle these things to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. You've already, that's already a loss. That's a, that's a, that's a mark in the, in the L column. And then he says this, why would you not just rather suffer wrong and, and rather not be defrauded, be taken advantage of, but you yourselves you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Anybody who lives this life, sexual, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then I love this verse, verse 11. And such were some of you. That was who you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Man, what a beautiful picture of God's grace. Again, this, this lady, Tabitha Dorcas, she, she was not defined in Scripture by the fact that she didn't have a husband or that she was a widow or that she got sick and that she died. All those things are things in her life. But what is brought out is the one word, the only one time in Scripture, that, ma, 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 that, that word, I can't remember right now, <laughs> Mathetria, um, was used, was used for her. She was known as a female disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what's written down. That's what's recorded. That's what impacts us still today. And I don't know about you, but 
I don't, I don't have to have my name written down. I don't have to be known by anybody. But I want my life to glorify Jesus Christ, period. At the end of the day, that's all that I care about. Why? Because when I stand before him, he's not going to look at anything in this world that's temporal and say, oh, good job. Well done. He's not. He's going to say, what did you do for me? What did, the talent that you gave me? Did you bear it in the earth? Were you afraid that I was going to come and, and, and reap where I didn't sow? Were you think that I was a hard master? What did you do with what I gave you? He takes the unworthy. He takes the unusable. He takes the filthy. He takes the lost, the no good, lowly sinner, and he makes them his own child. He washes us, he saves us, he makes us new, and then he calls us and he commissions us so that he gets the glory alone from our life. That's what matters, period. We face such a polarizing time presently in our world, even in the church of Jesus Christ today, which is sad. Nothing new, but sad. Polarization was going on even in this time. We've seen that already. Judaizers, people trying to be religious, people trying to pull them back into to Judaism from being Christians, attacks inside the church, lies in the church, all these things were, it was polarizing in the time. But I want to encourage us today with all of this, we need to remember that we are to be defined by our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are to bring glory and honor to him no matter what happens in our world, no matter what the polarizing issue of our day is that Satan intends to divide the people of God with, you and I have something that's absolutely unique that Satan can't battle if we'll follow it. And that's that unique change that Jesus did in our life and a unique call that we have in and from him. And if we will, like this first church, rally around that. It, what do they do? Hey, we got a problem in the church. Call Peter. Hey, let's, let's handle this together. Let's do this as a church. Let's, let's, let's fix, you know, hey, let's re- rely on the Lord. Let's make sure God is glorified in this. Let's exalt him in all this. Rally around that, then we might just experience revival like they did in the midst of persecution and polarization in their culture. I don't know about you, but I, I'm ready for it. I'm sick of all the polarization in the world. I'm sick of all the division. In, in the world, and I mean, everything you have, I mean, we, we got rid of, uh, of TV, we got rid of cable, we got all, rid of all that kind of stuff, and, and it's still just everywhere. It's everywhere. This morning, as the people of God, let's be challenged to evaluate our motive for living, period. Let's make sure in our heart that we have the right motive for living, for serving, and for following Christ. And again, let's make sure We're not letting anything or anyone define who we are. Not let anything or anyone keep us, whether it's our past or present circumstances, from being the man, the leader, the woman, the servant, the father. The mother, husband, wife, child, saint, that we are to be. We live, we're supposed to be living for something, someone eternal. And I want to challenge you this morning, are you? Are you, are we living 
for the one eternal God. Is that the motive? Is that what's happening in your life? Let's make sure that we're not playing the game that the enemy and the world would love for us to play. A game that damages and divides the unity of the church. But as scripture says, let's play the man. Let's not play the game. Let's play the man. Let's be courageous. Make sure we don't miss the opportunity that he's given us before it's too late. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, those scriptures we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 still define your life. Sexually immoral. Drunkard. Sinner. And I beg you today to repent and turn to Christ for salvation before it's too late because he'll do the same exact thing he did for those, who, those of us in this room who he's done it for. He'll do it for you today. He still washes and changes and saves and transforms and gives eternal life to people still today. And so I encourage you, don't leave here without that assurance and without that change. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do in our life. Thank you for the reminder, the encouragement, the challenge this morning. Lord, we know that the enemy is good at bringing up our past. The enemy is good at striking fear in our hearts in the present. Lord, I pray we would learn from this, this faithful follower of Jesus, this woman that you have preserved her testimony for us even today, that we would learn from her example that she didn't let who she was or who she, what she didn't have or what happened to her or anything define her. We see in her what stands out, this example of a faithful follower whose life glorifies you. And I, I pray that that's what we desire. Every single one of us in here that, you're, that, that are your children, I pray that we would desire that, that we would not allow the enemy to have the victory in guilting us with our past, not allow the enemy to have victory in causing fear in us in our present. But God, we would be dedicated to you, the one true eternal God, and we would live with our purpose and our motivation being your glory. Lord, we ask that you would just move now also if there's somebody here that needs salvation, that they would, they would come and respond during this time before they leave today. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand this morning as he sings.